The fact is culture is always downstream of education. We are reaping today the fruits of what has been taught or not taught in schools. At Basecamp Live, we're big fans of classical Christian education precisely because it gives students what they need to be real-world ready. It is an education that is absolutely not about sheltering and protecting them from the big bad world, but making sure they're ready to take on whatever life deals with them. My guest today completed an extensive doctoral dissertation exploring the reasons why classical Christian graduates can and do stand strong in their faith and in their life decisions that go the distance. You don't want to miss this episode of Basecamp Live. Mountains, we all face them as we seek to influence the next generation. Get equipped to conquer the challenges, summit the peak, and shape exceptionally thoughtful, compassionate, and flourishing human beings. We call it Ancient Future Education for Raising the Next Generation. Welcome to Basecamp Live. Now your host, Davies Owens. Welcome to Basecamp Live. Davies Owens on the line with Matthew Brazil. How are you, Matthew? I'm well. How are you today? I'm doing well. How is life in Raleigh, North Carolina there at Trinity Academy? It's good. We've been open for about six weeks now. Uh, lower school where I work is stopped for uh, parent-teacher conferences for a day and a half, and so it's great to to be able to sit down and talk with parents about their child and, and have had their child in the classroom for the last six weeks. Yeah, and you guys are—you've been there um, six— no, let's see. You've been there. You were. This is. A, I love your your story, Matthew. For those that don't know you, you were six years in public school before you joined there at Trinity Academy. And I, I think a whole other podcast is in order at some point because I'd love to get your perspective on you were doing Teach for America. So you really got to see education on that side before you came over to the classical Christian world. Um, head of lower school, you've been there six years. Is that right? In that capacity. I came one year as a teacher, and so then head of lower school, this is my sixth year in that role. And you're transitioning to become a full-time assistant head of school, so lots of of hats you're wearing there. You're married. You guys have two children. Is that right? We do, and my wife actually graduated from Trinity Academy, which was how I I learned about Trinity and what what drew me here in the first place. I love that. You know, we really are 40—I mean, we say it's a 40-year-old movement. Now we're seeing second gen coming in and leading, and it's it's remarkable. It sure is— opening up a lot of opportunities that have never been there before with, with folks that show up that actually lived it, which is wonderful. We're going to talk this today, Matthew, about a really fascinating doctoral research project that you have just completed um, at from Drexel University uh, Educational Doctorate, and you're tackling a really fascinating question. We're doing the series here on Basecamp on more than ever, and is this the right education for this modern, crazy world, or is this sort of a throwback education that separates us from the realities of the modern world. And I know for years I've quoted Barna, and I think this number is still generally accurate, that about 80% of kids that grow up in Christian homes and schools and churches walk away from their faith when they get off to college and maybe 20% stay the course. Uh, and you've you've said, hey, let's figure out what's going on with that 20%. So explain a little bit about this project and what you were trying to accomplish. Yeah, so I'd talked with a couple of different um leaders, my former head of the school, Dr. Little John, and, and just some others to, to say, what's a question in the classical Christian world that we don't have a great answer to right now? And part of that answer is, as, as you mentioned, we're, we're hitting that 
that level where we've had folks who are now old enough, they've graduated, they have kids of their own starting to come back. And so of those that have remained committed to their faith and, and that attended a classical Christian school, what about their experience helped them remain committed to their faith? So I wanted to find people who had the, the experience of, of being able to look back. And so not just the immediate graduate or the people that were currently in the school, but those who've lived life and, and still have a solid faith that, that matters to them and drives their life and say, all right, now that you think about it, what about your high school experience was, was impactful in that being the case? So this is a study that give us a sense of um, kind of the, how you approached it. I mean, there's lots of ways. And I know that, you know, what, to your point too, there's obviously a number of efforts underway right now to move from just sort of anecdotal stories to trying to quantify, um, obviously the work that ACCS and, uh, Cardis have done and the good soil studies, a very comprehensive study, but you're coming at it from a little different angle than that. Explain kind of what's different and what you were trying to accomplish. Yeah. So a lot of those studies and even the Goodwin study came out right before mine. And it was great to see because they're able to hit a lot of people and, and get a lot of data. But my approach was to try to find um, graduates from a variety of schools and a variety of states and say across different states. So it ended up being um, California, Texas, Virginia, and North Carolina. Although I interviewed people from Texas, Virginia, and North Carolina across multiple states and multiple decades of attending a classical Christian school and attending different schools what was the thing that was common? What, what held true? And so really relying upon uh, specific individual stories and in-depth interviews with individuals, as opposed to a big, broad um, numerical approach to it, trying to maybe answer the, the why and what causes some of the data that we're seeing from Barna and Goodwin. What's the story behind that data? What, what led to those outcomes? And try to get at least a few perspectives from a variety of different uh, experiences that, that could be used to summarize that. Yeah. And so, and, and again, just by way of introduction, why was this so important for you? Well, I mean, that was one of the questions that, that we often get from families is, you know, well, well, what happens when they graduate? And so we had these anecdotal stories. We, we could talk about this alum who went and did this or, or those kinds of things. I watched my wife still remain committed to their faith. Um, I did not grow up in a classical Christian school and, and still was committed too, but I see from, from working in a classical Christian school, the benefit and values and things that would have been very helpful to, to have had. And so I just wanted to, to not be opinion. I wanted to not be anecdotal because everyone can pull out a story of, of that kid. I wanted to find the thing that was, that was common. So hopefully that schools can maybe take uh, their anecdotal stories and say, but this, this matches up to, yeah. to what happens in other schools. This is part of classical Christian education, not just Trinity Academy and what Trinity Academy is doing. Yeah. It's what classical Christian education is doing. Yeah. And it definitely, and, and again, we're going to get to, um, throughout the podcast, both taking a look at some of the key findings and just sort of the implications, like, what does this really mean for us? Um, I, um, why don't we take a, a quick break and Matthew, we're going to come back cause I want to jump into really unpacking some of these findings. Um, we've got a good sense, I think of, of the general structure of the interview, maybe actually before we get a break, just to confirm that everybody, and again, I, this is such a trying to unpack a doctoral dissertation in a podcast is not a small task. And so we're going to probably in, un, uncover questions that people have along the way. And I would just invite you, if you're interested, you can enter, you can, well, you can interview Matthew. You can ask him questions. Uh, uh, info at basecamplive.com would love to pass those on to you, Matthew. And, and I'm sure there's probably uh, deeper and more ex extended questions and maybe even an opportunity to take a look at the dissertation itself, because there's a lot of thoughtful research that's in here. But let's take a quick break. We'll come back and jump into some of the key findings of your project.
Hello, my name is David Kern and I'm with the Circe Institute. And I'd like to tell you about a new product that we have available now called 30 Poems to Memorize Before It's Too Late. It features some of the most essential poems ever written and is a book for people who believe that the mind is worth filling with beautiful things. Each poem has been carefully selected by a panel of poets, educators, and scholars, and is accompanied by a brief but thoughtful essay that explores the poem, identifying questions to ask, images to contemplate, and forms to revel in. If you love poetry, or just want to make poetry a bigger part of your life or your school's life, then please check out 30 Poems to Memorize Before It's Too Late. You can get it right now on Amazon.com or at circeinstitute.org slash 30 poems. That's circeinstitute.org slash 30 poems. Welcome back to Basecamp. Matthew Brazil and I talking through this really fascinating doctoral research that you have accomplished, Matthew, which is no small thing. Let's jump into some of the key findings. What did you find? You, you traveled around four states, seven schools, interviewing the why this education went the distance. What did you find? So as I, I took all their interviews, I typed out every, I recorded it, typed out everything they said, and then went through the coding process just to see what what would be themes or things that emerged that, that were consistent across all the different participants. And I clumped it into five major themes. Uh, faith is not always easy. There was a, a constant wrestling or challenges to their faith and faith changing over time. Uh, the idea that faith adherence requires more than school, while school played a role, so did family and, and church and parachurch organizations in college. Relationships at school matter was my third um, kind of theme, if you will. And so talking about the adult relationships at school, as well as the peer relationships. The fourth one kind of surprised me a little bit that, that came out was voluntary conversations about faith. The, all 10 of the participants I interviewed engaged in conversations about their faith just in their life with family, with friends, with colleagues. It just is part of who they are and seems to be ingrained in their DNA that they are willing and ready to jump into faith conversations. And then the last one was, was probably the most meaty and, and, and in-depth one was that classical Christian, Christian education is impactful. And that was really because of the faith integration that they described the focus on preparation and training that they felt that they received while they were in high school. In addition to the academic rigor, which I further broke out from, um, they talked about the classical philosophy and how that was helped them. They talked about specific classes they had that they saw helping them. And then they talked about the emphasis on thinking and all of these kind of interconnect and are interwoven. Um, you know, the emphasis on thinking is part of the faith is not always easy and the adult relationships help them go through the thinking and the challenges and, and those kinds of things. Uh, but really that, that faith is uh, classical education is impactful was, was big. Well, and I think it's interesting. Again, that was a lot, um, a lot of findings. So maybe kind of walk back through and unpack some of that. First of all, you're talking about just, I find it interesting that one of the common outcomes was just their natural tendency to talk about their faith. Um, and you know, you don't typically think of classical Christian schools and making a broad generalization sort of being, um, evangelistically oriented. It's not like everybody gets evangelism explosion training their senior year, and that's what they're wired to do. It, but at a much deeper, more substantive level, talk about what what was discovered there. Yeah, they. I mean, I never asked them a question. D tell me about when you've talked about your faith with others. That just came up as they answered other questions. Um, one talked about, they, they said, and I, I'll quote them, high school prepared me to have a conversation, how to deal with somebody confronting me about something. So at times this was uh, one shared that she was at a party uh, underage drinking and she wasn't drinking. And someone's like, well, why aren't you drinking? And she just remembered talking about Romans 13 and adherence to authority. And so she 
told him based on Romans 13 why she wasn't. Another talked about a study abroad experience and uh, being with an atheist and uh, and just different experiences that came up as they just engaged in relational conversations, but they were willing to take those conversations to faith when the door opened. Whereas the research out there shows that like from Barna and some other places, there's a hesitancy in this current generation to share their faith. And yet these graduates felt comfortable and equipped. One talked about they use uh, classical literature that they have someone else who likes and they find classical literature to be an opening door to end up talking about faith things because so much yeah. of faith is intertwined into classical literature. Do you think some of it is just they're actually, this seems so base, but it's where we are culturally. They're just simply comfortable having conversations. They are. They're, and, I mean, and they're, if, yeah. I mean, it's faith, faith conversations for sure, but just in a, in a text driven world, how how rare to have a young person that can just have a conversation. And, and they're having conversations, and because faith is important to them, faith just ends up being a part of that conversation naturally. They yeah. weren't going out there trying to evangelize. These were just relationships that they had. Sometimes it was family. Sometimes it was roommates in college. It's just they were comfortable with conversations. Yeah. They were comfortable and secure in their faith, and the two overlap. And, what, for all and what parent doesn't want that? And again, I'm just thinking about the the you know the, the potential concern is that this is an education that's so inwardly focused that we are, you know, we're raising up the Amish kids who will go live on the farm and never deal with the real world. I mean, oh my goodness, this ability to have a conversation, what a, what a gift for a, in a world today where most kids have trouble looking adults in the eyes. What a, that, that's amazing. And I mean, it's sad that that's amazing, but it, that's an incredible fruit. Talk a little bit. So you talked again, lots of, lots in here, the, within the classical Christian, um, Education being impactful, you talked about faith integration. What what's behind faith integration? You talking about within the curriculum itself? Yeah, within the curriculum, and not even necessarily in, in just in a Bible course. It was it was incorporated into other places. What was really ironic? Two of the people who spoke most eloquently about this. One was one of the the first graduates from a school in Virginia, and one of the um, oldest people I interviewed, and the other was the youngest graduate that I interviewed uh, from a school in Texas, and their words were were just about the same. Uh, one, uh, the one who graduated from a school in Texas, said, "In all things, Christ preeminent. Everything was taught from a biblical worldview, but from a not not from a point of just rote memorization or produce some sort of cookie cutter Christian kid, but to pursue excellence in all things because that's honoring to God." And then the the older one who graduated from a school in Virginia described as the way that you love your classmates, the way you approach learning and developing a love for learning, and then to pursue excellence, even in sports where you're a small school, to teach the truth, to teach what God loves, and to teach why God loves what he loves. Mm. And so they had the same experience, and yet were a decade apart, and uh, one was in Texas, one was in Virginia. And yet they just saw that everything um, from classrooms to academics to relationships, everything was about honoring God. And I think the way when I think you use the word love three times in that um, in that answer, and and I think that's what's refreshing to me, having been around the classical Christian world for a, a long time. I think part of our earlier generations of graduates were maybe so wired towards being um, uh, defending the truth that sometimes there there came a rigidness and maybe a, a lack of grace sometimes in the way that that expressed itself, even though they were confident and they had the knowledge. And I love that you're you're hearing in these graduates that yes, they're confident in the truth, but there were also people who reflected and identified God's love towards others. I think that's pretty encouraging to me. So, um, and so faith integration again for maybe those who are listening. 
um, just to remind, I mean, this is not a, our schools are not just, you know, chapel on Friday or Bible class on Thursday and the rest of the entire curriculum looks like any other public school down the street. So there's an integration. Um, maybe flesh that out a little bit, Matthew. Again, how did you see integration? What does that look like? Or what did you hear maybe in the context of, you described some of the fruit of it, but what does it look like in the, in the daily life of a school? Yeah, well, that's where they even hit some of the other things of the preparation and training and, and the academic rigor. You know, they talked about being in a, a literature class and having to discuss, um, you know, the the faith, the worldview, whether it was a Christian or not, the worldview of the author and how that informed the characters and the worldview of the characters and then connecting that in conversation to their faith. Um, one, a couple of them talked about in math, having to write papers in math. We're like, but then, you know, we stepped back and we looked at the all and beauty of the organized and, and ordered world and, and from God with that. They talked about um, coaches leading a devotion before uh, they had practice. And it wasn't just, all right, we have to check the box for devotion. The coaches actually cared about them and were engaged in their life and were uh, wanting to make sure that they then modeled that the way that they played and conducted themselves as a team. And so in, in all aspects, they're just constantly having authentic experiences, but through relationships and conversation, those experiences are being connected to their faith. Yeah. I often quote, there's a professor at Fuller Seminary, Chap Clark, who wrote a book called Sticky Faith, and he talks in there about the five to one ratio, that one of the reasons that students go the distance um, that are in that 20% that stay with their faith is because of, of five significant adult relationships in their life who are people speaking into beyond mom and dad, beyond youth leader. So it seems like that confirms that that model that they're the the faith integration is literally a life on life relational engagement, not just again cognitive in terms of we had the right information and we read City of God three times. So yeah. Well let's um and then the last point on here is academic rigor. And I know that that word also rigor when you you know stop the person on the street and say, What do you think of classical Christian schools? They say, oh, it's a rigorous school and sometimes that uh, denotes something maybe not even positive. It's like, look at our kids, they eat gravel all day and they're really amazing. And it's like, well, no, I don't think it's just that. So what did you find, how does academic rigor impact the ability for uh, enduring resilient faith? And so that was uh, really came out in three different ways. One was the, the classical philosophy, the idea of you're going to have to, to speak, you're going to have to think. Uh, one talked about uh, it's not just equipping students with how to it's with equipping students with how to not only ask good questions, but when they encounter something in their faith or in the Bible they don't understand, they have the tools to investigate that to say, I know how to do this. I've done this in other aspects of my education. That's so why I can do this with my faith as well. And so just that classical philosophy, especially in high school, of focusing on Socratic dialogue and engaging in conversation uh, was really important. Another aspect came out was, was specific classes, having an apologetics course, having a worldview course. Those things were helpful. One talked about they still carry around in their Bible uh, today the notes that they took from their apologetics course because it was just so impactful and, and helped them. So they just, as their Bible wears out, they just keep changing it. And then a third aspect for academic rigor, it, it aligns a little bit of that classical philosophy, but it was that emphasis on thinking. It wasn't that you could just speak up and say the right answer. Uh, you got challenged. If you said what was quote unquote the right answer, you were challenged to defend it. Uh, and if no one was giving a, a wrong answer, then the teacher would throw out a wrong answer and make students debate that back and forth. Why is that not the case? Or what happens if we do this? They were, um, 
they were trained how to think, not what to think. That's actually something Trinity has used several times kind of as a, as a throw off of a, a phrase that we can use, but it came out from, I think just about every participant in some way, how to think, not what to think. Well, that's, if there's ever a slogan that our modern world needs right now is that, you know, how, how to, how to think, not what to think, because I think the ability to logically process and think through, I mean, again, open the news up and ask how many people are really thinking deeply and even have a cultural awareness of their history and their knowledge. There's so much, I think, to this. It's not just rigor for rigor's sake, but it's, it's, and again, it's probably compared to graduates 50 years ago or certainly 100 years ago, um, it's still pretty easy. I mean, what, what, you know, students are capable of when given the full ability to, to be educated is pretty remarkable how God's wired us. And um, we can do much more when we're given the opportunity. And, and so this yeah. academic rigor was was not easy for students, but it clearly prepared them when they were in college because almost all of them went to a non-Christian college. Uh, two went to one that was historically Christian. But it was that that having to think through it allowed them to then be able to stand on their feet when they weren't surrounded by Christians. And so when they wrestled with this in the classroom, they're surrounded by Christian teachers who love them. And then right. they go to athletics with a Christian coach who loves them and they go home to their Christian parents, hopefully, but not always. Um, and so when they had that complete loop to wrestle with these things and to go through that rigor and to go through that challenge, they were then yeah. ready to find college and life to be, to yeah. be easier. Well, and what I, what I'm experiencing both with my own daughter who's graduated, um, and off at college and coming back, there's so many in her class and so many of our alumni and so many in, alumni in classical Christian schools that get off to college and they don't find that rigor. They don't find that thoughtful conversation. And I know we've got a couple of our, uh, our senior teachers at Ambrose that are always uh, on the short list when they come back to town to go meet with them and sit with them and talk with them. They just miss, they'll even go back and sit in the classrooms uh, with our 12th graders and just say, gosh, I miss this. People are actually thinking, um, and they're debating and they're considering different perspectives and it's refreshing. So, well, Matthew, let's take a quick break. I want to come back. We're going to close it out just by looking um, kind of at some of the implications of this research in terms of, you. again, we've talked about some of the key findings, but how does this play out in the real world? What are some ways that we um, as parents and teachers can continue to support this effort and be encouraged because this is definitely uh, pointing to the fact that this is a real-world ready education. So we'll be right back in just a moment with Matthew. Are your students considering taking the PSAT this fall? Many administrations have been canceled, so don't find yourself out of luck. The October 20th CLT-10 is the only online alternative that can be taken from home and it delivers next day results. Register for the October 20th CLT-10 today at cltexam.com. Registration is free. Welcome back to Basecamp Live. Matthew, we're digging deep into some fascinating research that you have done, and there's so much more to talk about. Time is limited. You know, I'm assuming some folks are listening to this saying, um, not surprising. I've always known classical Christian schools have uh, successful output. That's kind of why we, we invest in it. That's what we believe in academically, spiritually. Um, but I'm just curious from your standpoint, as you look at this, kind of uh, kind of what's the so what? So what, what does this mean other than isn't this interesting? How does this really impact and what recommendations might you have for parents and teachers based on what you found? 
So I, to sum it up, I guess the best way to, to keep it short and simple would be to, as parents, to close the loop. Uh, don't think that you can drop your kid off and everything's going to take care of itself. Classical Christian education helps and, and is great, but close the loop as parents. Give your child space to, to ask hard questions and, and you ask them questions too. And if they're wrestling with their faith, give them space. One of the alums talked about she went through a period of really intense personal uh, struggle with, do I really want to accept this faith as my own? Because of the implications of that as a, I believe she was a junior in high school and she thought she hid it from everyone, but a teacher noticed, called her mom. And that teacher and mom committed to pray for her uh, regularly over a period of several months while this child went through that struggle. And she didn't know that until she came out the other side that that, that had happened. And so not only did that child have a clear connection to the adult in her life, but the parent also had a connection to that teacher. And so there was um, deep, heartfelt just prayer um, for that child. And, and she ended up becoming um, a graduate and committed to her faith and, and has gone on through graduate school and remained committed despite constant challenges she's had from her graduate choices. Um, and so I would just encourage parents to, to close that loop. Ask questions to your child. They might not love it, but let them argue back and forth with you. Give them space to, to figure out this faith piece during this time period where they're surrounded by, by loving Christians. And then let them engage with adults and you engage with the adults in their life also. I think that's because I think that's always the question of research like this is how much of this wonderful output is really actually the fruit of the family and the church. And I know there wasn't a way to super scientifically extract that out because all of these things work together. You know, it's the three-legged stool, as I often call it, the church and the family um, and the school working together. So are are there um, are there ways, I guess, again, that we can be complementing that and not working against it? And I think, like you said, leaning in a bit more. As the yeah, and, I mean, for someone who maybe is listening and is not involved in, in classical Christian education, it's that, that three-legged stool is very important, but think about how many hours they're at school. You know, that, that is just a place that they're going to be surrounded and caught with a worldview. Um, but just be engaged with your school, get to know your school, get to know your children, and just have fun with them. Uh, but there are other things in there. Knowledge of faith is important, but is itself not enough? So there might be a time you just need to put your arm around your kid and love them. And that, that also was important for, for the graduates that they felt loved as they went through the different things that they were learning. Yeah. And I, you know, get to reiterate what we talked about earlier. I think that's, this is probably the most encouraging thing I'm finding is we've known that these kids are able to, you know, win debates and they're, they're able to parse out logical fallacies, but are they really people that love Jesus? Do they really, and do they have an answer to what every teenager is struggling with is who am I and why do I matter and where am I going in the world? Like if, if we don't answer that well, I don't care how many great books they've read. Let's make sure we get that down. And 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 that's part of that whole complimenting um, and, and really inoculating, I think, is maybe another word that you know we, we use, which is you're giving them small doses of, of the real world through this education that then they don't show up at college, as you're indicating, and, and being shocked that anyone's heard this, these questions before. So um, actually, I was just talking to my daughter last night who's in her senior year of college, and she was taking a... a a Christian kind of worldview class and they were talking about theodicy, the problem of evil. And she said, it's amazing the number of people in a Christian college that have never really worked through that question and how, how unsettling it can be if you don't have a good answer to why there's evil in the world. And, but yet most of our students have tackled that, um, you know, right in the midst of their high school experience. So, well, Matthew, this is really encouraging research. And again, we've, we've just barely skimmed over the top of, I mean, when it's a doctoral dissertation, I I'm not even going to ask how many hours you put into this or days or uh, how much, whatever the analogy is, how much blood was drawn. It was a huge project. 
um, I'm sure people would love to dig deeper. How can people get a copy of this dissertation? So it is available online uh, through Google Scholar. Uh, the full title is Understanding the Influence of Secondary Classical Christian Education on Faith Adherence Experiences of High School Alumni. Now, is that, is uh, but if, does that fit on a book binding? I just want to know if that's... Just barely. Could you say that uh, one if, more time? Because that was yeah, impressive. <laughs> as, uh, understanding the Influence of Secondary Classical Christian Education on Faith Adherence Experiences of High School Alumni. Uh, but my last name is spelled uniquely enough that as long as that's on, on the website, uh, if you put that into Google Scholar, there won't be tons of articles that appear, especially if you limit it to, to dissertations in 2020. Uh, mine should be one of the first couple of links that pops up. That'd be great. And if and if all else fails, just email us again, info at basecamplive.com. Be glad to connect you up with Matthew. And if you have questions, we can certainly follow up because this is a very interesting study and very timely again in this in this moment of uh, where the barbarians are at our gates more than ever do we need a generation that's really real-world ready. And so, Matthew, thanks for encouraging us in that, and I wish you all the best as you guys are continuing to fight the fight there at Trinity. I'm encouraged. Um, so we'll have you back on. I definitely would love to hear your story about uh, some of your experiences there at Teach, um, was it Teach America and some of the, you know, your your life inside the bigger government schools and kind of seeing the contrast to what you're doing now, which I'm sure is only emphasized what you're finding here in this dissertation, how different things really are. So, all right. Well, thanks so much, Matthew. We will talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. That's a wrap on another episode of Basecamp Live. Guys, we know it's not easy raising the next generation. This idea of ancient future education is valuable and important. We are so excited about it, and we would love to hear from you and support you in what you are doing. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Basecamp Live. Also, send us an email at info at basecamplive.com. So until next time, let's keep climbing the mountain before us together.